Nozed, and you're here on Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant struggle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. You may have noticed our nice little intro video. Um, Kirk, nice, uh, nice uh, new production value there. So topics today, we're going to start off with looking at um, the Nike news that you may have heard about last week, where uh, they have a new CEO. John Donahoe, um, who used to be the head of eBay. And you can appreciate that John uh, understands a thing or two about marketplaces. And um, basically, the guy didn't waste any time in terms of withdrawing all of the Nike products from Amazon. Right. I don't think he's officially started yet, right? He's... Uh, not officially taken on the post yet, but is basically the CEO to be, and they're already pulling out, so making moves pretty quickly. Yes, I think he maybe he's on their board or something, or yeah, I feel like he's he, been involved. He was yeah. on the board. Yeah, he was involved. But like, he's not. He's not yet the active CEO yeah. of the company. Current, clearly, it's been a thorn in John's side for a long time. Hmm. Um, and uh, so the the interesting thing to note when Amazon did get nike to come on board they gave they made a lot of concessions they would normally never make with a manufacturer um traditionally you see that the marketplace model is that you get access to fragmented supply from distributors think about them as like the wholesalers the middlemen uh between the manufacturer and the retailers and um that's how you get access to this fragmented supply because the marketplace isn't going to the manufacturers at the onset um, just because the manufacturers either don't want to deal with small order sizes, they don't want to deal with all the infrastructure required, you know, they don't want to uh, basically turn off and annoy all of their distributors, right? So manufacturers are not the initial entry point that a marketplace would typically try to go and uh, capture supply from. That happens as like a phase two or a phase three. So basically, uh, Amazon gets scale from other distributors first. It gets supply. People were selling Nike shoes on Amazon illegitimately, basically. Uh, it was you like had, a gray market of, yeah. or uh, Nike would probably maybe even use more harsh terms than that, like a black market for Nike goods that weren't sold by licensed distributors, right. weren't authorized to resell these products. Probably some were fake, some were genuine. Right. The customer suffered, but. Amazon would have Nike products on it. Right. If you search Amazon, Nike stuff comes up, even if Nike's right. not there. Not the best supply, but some supply. So uh, Amazon said, okay, Nike, come on board. We will take off all other products. We, the only products on Amazon will be from Nike. Right. And, and they're we'll going to- let you control this gray market. From a, from a Nike point of view, it's kind of like extortion, like- it's going to be here regardless. Why don't you come play and we'll give you some tools. Right. To take it down. Now, actually, <laughs> Amazon doesn't even offer that up to many other manufacturers. This right. was honestly like a sweetheart deal for Amazon to, to come that far to get Nike get on a board. Big, uh, yeah, a big, a big retailer to join. Yep. So Nike obviously has its own retail stores, its own e-commerce. I mean, Nike has invested significant resources in, in owning the customer relationship so they were probably saying, hey, we're making concession as well to capitulate and actually um, put some inventory on Amazon. Yeah, they probably were never putting the full catalog on Amazon, but right. at least they'd said, we want to clear up the black market Have on a Amazon. Clear presence. And, yeah, I can tell you definitely it. Nike was never happy about having to be there. 
uh, but they felt like in a certain case, you know, they needed to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's what led to that relationship. And of course, clearly they felt it isn't worth the effort. So here's my prediction. My prediction that I would say by the end of 2020, Nike buys one of the secondhand marketplace uh, sneaker companies. Goat or StockX. Go StockX. Yeah. I'd probably put my money on StockX. Um, I think StockX is like a hair ahead of Goat in terms of uh, GMB, in terms of like the the really hardcore sneakerheads that I know. This is anecdotal. Always prefer StockX over Goat. Doesn't StockX also have like a relationship with Flight Club or is that Goat? Goat took over Flight Club. Okay. That's in New York. It's Goat a big took a hundred million store. dollars yeah. from Foot Locker. Right. StockX was started by Dan Gilbert, yep. and owns the Cavs and Quicken and all these things. Right. Um, and Nike, although really more thro- more so because of Dan and the Cavs, when LeBron was on the Cavs, it was actually I think the first um, direct to uh, you, you know first sneaker launch directly on the marketplace. And we were playing a video with the CEO of. Um, StockX a couple weeks ago on like complex or something. Lots of swearing in, in, uh, in that clip. Um, some funny stuff, some just ridiculous stuff. Um, and what he was saying is he views, you know, if you're familiar with like Dutch, Dutch auctions or, or basically the direct listings on the stock market, he wants to basically do that and bring that model to StockX where sneakers and sneaker manufacturers um, are releasing the sneaker directly onto the market. And then the market sets the price. Right. And so you kind of get away from this whole idea of, oh, well, it retails for $200. And then on the secondary market, it goes for $500. But you just let the market figure out the price for it, which is essentially what a direct listing is rather than an IPO process, as we've covered on the show before. So I think the, the you know, John loves marketplaces, clearly. He understands network effects very well. Um, I mean, what share of the secondhand marketplace industry does Nike, you know, are ma- comprised of Nike products? Probably at least Pretty half. Big. Yeah, between yeah, it's the like main Yeezys brands. And, 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 but now I guess the Jordans designers and, like the Balenciagas yeah. and all those are coming in. Right. But if I'm Nike, why wouldn't I want to own a piece of that too? Because right. that gives me access to up and coming designers and yeah. I can start to build this community. I, which and will I think, only benefit my core business. I, and I think that's some of what you're seeing. You're starting to see other manufacturers come into, at least at the high end of the market, right? come into that market by partnering up with a celebrity or being a big fashion design house like Dior. Yeah. Um, and, you know, making, an, making a sneaker. It's not that hard to make a sneaker. You know, it's more... From a, from a strictly product point of view, yeah, a lot of it is... The prestige is the design. and branding. Right. Uh, which is part of what Nike does really well. Yeah. So that's my prediction. In the next, what, 13 and a half months, Nike buys most likely StockX, maybe Goat, but I think Foot Locker probably has some, you know, right of first right. refusal yeah. or some some provisions in there. So it wouldn't be as clean. So that's why I think they buy StockX. But at least, and it doesn't have to be those two. <laughs> it could be like um, Stadium Goods, but I, I, I think... Nike's going to buy the leader, uh, which to me seems like StockX. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, 
And I think it'd be a great move. So let's look at, let's go back to Amazon. So we had spoken previously on the show about how Amazon product managers would go to third-party sellers, would say, hey, give me the purchase order because I want to verify that your products are legit. The product manager then goes directly to the manufacturer, sources the products directly from the manufacturer, cutting out their third-party seller from the transaction. Right. It's totally not okay, completely inappropriate behavior, complete abuse of the data that they're getting from sellers. Um, so again, in that supply side, anti-competitive practices, we've spoken about that. But now this article from Wall Street Journal says Amazon, Amazon's heavy recruitment of Chinese sellers puts consumers at risk. And it says... It wooed China's manufacturers to sell directly to the U.S. That is exactly what we were talking about, where they would go around, the, you know, they'd get right. the purchase order, there, or they'd go quotes, directly to the manufacturer. There are quotes in this article from people that basically, that's exactly what happened to them, as oh, I was buying, I was selling this product, and then they went direct to the manufacturer who undercut me by 50% or whatever right. it was. Um, a, from an anti-competition, antitrust standpoint, not okay. B... This is this is this is you know a common critique of where marketplaces um, can let the customer down is for a lack of quality or a lack of vetting or you have you know you just have um, bad product that your customers are buying right. whether or it's things fake that or don't, just poor quality or in some cases illegal it doesn't meet regulations right. for certain kind of things like cosmetics or baby products unsafe right exactly and, and that's that's where you've seen some linear e-commerce players carve out a play because they're linear and they say, hey, you know, you are going to benefit from a more highly curated selection yeah. like Chewy. I, th I think you've seen that, uh, funnily enough, in China as a big example. There's a big market for basically linear players that import uh, things like baby food and baby products because a lot of Chinese consumers don't trust Chinese manufacturers. Right. So they want like basically curated imported products for right. those kinds of things and are willing to pay for it. Right. So yeah, where I think safety is a big concern. That could be for your pet. That could be for your child. Um, Some millennials will tell you they don't know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> if you, I guess like electronics, but I don't know, that's kind of a whole other thing refurbished electronics right but um yeah you've seen some select examples some select niches of kind of the the, the consumer retail spectrum where that curation helps in large part though i would say if you're not in one of those product categories then by having strong um rules and standards that help and and really strongly favor the consumer over the producer, the seller. Amazon has, I think, been able to overcome this without too much, too many uh, issues. It, the, the journals made a big deal of what I think they say are like 11,000 listings they found that have problems of some variety. It's, uh, it's like 0.0001%. Put that in context, Amazon has what, like 400 to 500 million SKUs? So it's tiny, but the interesting thing is that they said basically of the products they found that had problems, those 10 or 11,000, I think it was like 52% or over half were basically these Chinese companies that had come onto the platform yeah. within the last couple of years. So it's clearly a big source of where that problem is coming from. I think not too surprisingly, 
Uh, but I think in, in the, within specific areas, it's an issue. But I think in the broader context of Amazon's marketplace, it's not an existential threat. Yeah, because as long as it's not really a safety or security concern, you just return the product for free. They give you a label. I mean, you know, it's very easy, seamless process right. of it's returning. A, it's a customer experience issue. There's really no questions asked on Amazon's part if this is a legitimate return. Right. It gets returned <laughs> and... You know, you can drop it off at any number of places. It can come get picked up. It's it it clearly it it isn't it isn't slowing them down. I think the journal just likes to blow these stories up more. But it, but it is interesting in terms of how Amazon I think has been able to solve this. What is commonly the gripe where you hear from a lot of retailers that are very slow to open up their marketplace, like a Target. Yes, right. Where Target's like, oh yeah yeah yeah, we have a marketplace, but it's just a curated marketplace. Well, it's really a handful of partners. It's not even right. really a marketplace. It just but, means that not everything isn't in their warehouse. But this yet. is the reason why they'll use, or this is what the reason why it's like the boogeyman. This is the reason why many retailers will say, Oh, well, our consumers, you know, they, they trust us. You know, right. the problem is that most of those consumers these days really trust Amazon more than those guys. Cause right. they're going to Amazon first and they understand the model and they'll say, okay, Amazon's going to take care of me. And I can return it and they'll make me whole. I don't got to worry about it. It's easy process. And so there's, there's other platform mechanics that you can use to get over these hurdles. The idea of completely, you know, the the value prop of letting in millions of third-party sellers and hundreds of millions of third-party SKUs versus 11,000 SKUs. I'm, I'm taking the marketplace model. Right. And there's a reason, I don't know the exact number, but certainly the majority of product searches online these days start on Amazon and not these retailers' websites. It's because- Yeah, or even Google. Consumers trust the marketplace and the value prop of the marketplace uh, and that there's you know enough quality and selection there that overcomes these kind of hesitancies and concerns. I think it's uh, an unfortunate excuse that is, I think in many cases has prevented retailers from- winning when opportunities were in front of them. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, you know, the Amazon street continues, um, in Amazon business, this is the market in B2B distribution. B2B distribution is six to $8 trillion in size. Consumer retail in, in just the United States is two and a half trillion dollars. Uh, healthcare by, by comparison is $3 trillion. So B2B distribution is bigger than both of those things combined. It is massive. So there's a report out. Amazon business dominates the B2B marketplace market. We've spoken many, many times about Amazon business having a being a top 20 B2B distributor holistically within the B2B distribution space. Right. So they do 10 billion plus GMV. I think this was as of what, like February this year. No, no, so- no. 10 billion was as of last fall. Okay. I think they're probably 15 to 20 billion at right. this point. Uh, so the, at 10 billion, they basically, if you compare their sales to the sales of other distributors, they're a top 20. At 10 billion, company. they're top 20. Now right. they're probably top 10, uh, basically, you know, if they're at 15, 20. Right. They don't necessarily disclose this stuff regularly. Um, so this survey, the one critique I have on the survey is they said they had 90 purchasing managers. Um, that that's really who this this survey was the survey of 90 purchasing managers and then they have some stats right so basically it's saying b2b buyers are giving lots of business to amazon business 72% to amazon business 30% to alibaba that's kind of weird um 55% of buyers will increase their spending on amazon 
the future bodes well for all marketplaces. Right. Um, Basically, that says more buyers are going to be buying more stuff on marketplaces right. uh, in the future. Four in 10 business buyers are spending at least 11% of their procurement budget on B2B. 20% are spending more than 26%. So, you know, the takeaway here is it's small and it's continuing to grow. I think there are many verticals within B2B, distri- B2B distribution. It would have been helpful to have more clarity on what these purchasing managers are overseeing my default would be that this is the industrial MRO office supplies. That's where Amazon's got the best penetration. So that would make sense. And I think, I think they're probably doing over $7 billion in GMV just in that segment, um, which is scary, honestly, it's a hundred ish billion dollar industry. So I think the biggest company in that segment, Granger, for example, is like 10 to $11 billion in sales. So it's, Big big challenger there. You would probably see similar trends if you went into other B two B distribution verticals as well. It may not be as pronounced as industrial. I think that's the tip of the iceberg in the sense of where you're really going to see the B two B impact first from an Amazon business and from the marketplaces. Um, the Granger approach will never succeed. It'll only kick the can down the road for a few years. They're continuing to do linear. They're continuing to do e commerce. I think they last reported around 800,000 sellers uh, or SKUs rather. Yes. Yeah. And they want to add, I think, five to 10 million SKUs over the next three to five years. Um, remember that point. We're going to come back to that when we talk about Walmart. But basically, when you look at Walmart's SKU growth just in the past quarter, was it? In comparison to what Granger is, ta- it puts it to shame. And you can only get that level of SKU growth as we were just talking about the with, with Amazon marketplace model right. with hundreds of millions of SKUs if you have a truly marketplace model. B2B, by the way, interesting proof point. If you remember back or if you're paying attention to this industry three, four years ago, the complaint is, oh, Amazon will never succeed because people don't trust the products on the marketplace and all this kind of stuff. Oh, you know, they have products from China. People don't want to buy it. Turns out that's not true. Certainly not an MRO and office supplies and that kind of stuff. Uh, the products are certainly good enough and people trust Amazon that it's it's been growing very quickly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in these products, in some of these categories, I'd say is becoming dominant oh, yeah. uh, in terms of the market share, certainly on the spot buy side, which is where the marketplace is focused, not necessarily on the big contract stuff that distributors mm-hmm. still do. We did this video November 11th. So it just came out a week ago about TikTok. And how when ByteDance bought Musical.ly and then turned it into TikTok, um, now that is being reviewed by the government, that acquisition. So um, we speak in this video about how uh, putting regulation onto TikTok could be a good thing. I'm wearing the same shirt. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny and, and unfortunate. But anyway. Um, <laughs> The guidance in the video was accurate and that there's not necessarily something wrong with tech protectionism. And so our friend Ben Thompson over at Stratechery, his article, I think this came out today, um, also echoes this point. He, he does a good job of analyzing this New York Times article where they are giving a very praiseworthy review of TikTok, um, basically saying, you know, but to some people in the United States government, TikTok is a menace. And one big reason is the nationality of its owner. Um, 
you know, ByteDance is a Chinese company. Fears that TikTok is exposing America's youth to Communist Party indoctrination and smuggling their data to Beijing servers. Um, yeah, that's exactly what's happening. I don't understand, like, why that's um, inappropriate fear. Like, it's actually happening, and there's plenty of proof that it's happening. Um, Washington at this moment is suspicious of Chinese tech companies to a degree that can feel like paranoia. Uh, da, 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 da. So there's over 200 million Americans using TikTok. Is that right? I don't know. That can't be right. TikTok's app has been downloaded 750 million times. I swear this guy at Facebook was just telling me it's got 200. It's got to be at least 100. You say it's 200 million. I'm telling you. There's no, no, I don't, I think TikTok's business, from what I understand, has like single digit share of its global volume in the US. I remember reading this week. TikTok. Yes. No, no, I don't know. I think it's pretty strong in the US. That's not 200 million. million in the US. But so anyway, there's two points of control that we thought would be appropriate on TikTok. One is to say your data needs to be stored in the United States. And that you can put monitoring around, is the data going back to China or not? And then the other one is that um, the, the teams and, and the people in TikTok, CEO, the executives, are all based in the United States. And the reason why is because what you don't want to have happen is you don't want to have TikTok to A, be regulating um, content. And, and, and you know uh, um, what Ben Thompson talks about here is that TikTok was censoring Houston Rockets videos. Um, we've spoken in the past about how TikTok has censored out content about Hong Kong, talking about President Xi and many other things. And so um, if you have the data localization and data stored here, uh, A, you can start to review that more closely and make sure, A, that's not happening, B, that the data isn't going back into a Chinese server um, where you could have from a national security standpoint, you know, I think the U.S. government's point is that you could have officials that are using TikTok and don't know and they're in the government and you could have some secrets going to um, well, it, the Chinese government. The TikTok the, CEO, I think, was asked this week in an interview, like if Xi Jinping asked you to look into something and give him some data, what would you say? And he said, no, I wouldn't do that. I would tell Xi Jinping no. And as uh, Benedict Evans, a VC uh, Andreessen Horowitz mentioned this in his newsletter, and he said it's unfortunate because everyone knows that's a lie. <laughs> yeah, and your family will go to right. jail. Like you would, you would stop operating as a company and go to jail. Right. Yeah. And but here's the other thing: if we really in this country believe all of the hype and all of the fervor over privacy and all of the wrongdoing that Facebook and Google and all these big tech U.S. tech monopolies have done to the average consumer in the United States then why wouldn't we want to make sure that the data that our Americans are putting into this app is staying in the U.S. and there's some control over privacy, right? Isn't that like the whole reason everyone's so annoyed at Facebook and Google and all these data privacy, right? And then so that it's being exploited by foreign powers to interfere with our elections. And yeah, it's so and then and then if you don't put any controls over this, it's not like it's a small company. It's a multi-billion dollar company. It's not like. Not like you need to impose this regulation on every single foreign tech company 
operating in the United States. This the, has come up specifically because they made this acquisition. By the way, I think it's about 100 million downloads in the US, and that was earlier this year. So downloads, not active users. There's okay. a big difference okay. there. Okay. But I knew still, it was nine figures. It's still it's substantial. Big. Yeah, it's big. So if you really, if anyone in the in the political spectrum and the media spectrum really cares about privacy, then you would absolutely say data localization and data storage for TikTok is like bare bones, not that big of a deal. Right. Um, and then if you want to be able to enforce that stuff, you need the executives in the United States because in case they break it, if they're living in China, you have no recourse to actually enforce any of this, um, including them censoring people's posts uh, to you know be privy to what President Xi wants. There were some leaked internal documents and things at TikTok this, yes, well, we covered this week yeah, mm-hmm. that about... How they're how trying they to distance themselves. How they're trying to distance themselves from China and concerned about like, is this going to hurt our growth? I think the challenge is that they also think it's not really possible for them to do that fully right. as a Chinese-based company. So it's it's uh, can't split the baby in half, so to speak. Yeah, and the the last point on TikTok, <clears throat> you could you could <clears throat> roll this thing one over to um, Grinder, right? Also yeah. owned. By a Chinese company. I think it was. Was? Didn't the, the U.S. rule that they have to sp- basically cancel the sale and spin it out recently? Oh, my God. Let's see. Uh, <clears throat> Maybe that's yeah, still Yeah, why is the U.S. forcing a Chinese company to sell the, the sell grinder? Wow, that's a great point. Okay. So, so there's precedent for this. Right. So there's precedent for this that they forced. The, the concern and this with is that the is, same group, the CFIUS. Right. The concern with that is basically they would take the data on you know, that people's private lives and use that to basically bribe government officials. So mm-hmm. that was the concern there. Uh, I think politicians were certainly concerned if they thought it hit them close to home. I think TikTok is more focused on children. So maybe there's one remove. So they have uh, to sell this by June 2020. I, I, I think it's definitely a, a data privacy issue that I would be paying attention to if I were in Washington. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's unreasonable. The, the, in, 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 this, in the previous video that I was just showing that came out that we published last week, we were talking about is that tech. Yeah. Okay. There's the same. Sure. I'm going back to this. So tech protectionism. Is something that China has used very, very well, and it's helped China, and it's done a very good job. Right. So what China's done in terms of tech protectionism and the idea of forcing Grindr to be sold back to a U.S. entity or a non-Chinese entity or to put some light rules around TikTok data storage, it, it, I mean, this is China here in tech, tech protectionism, and this is the U.S. down here. They are completely worlds apart uh, in terms of how these things have operated. So, um, a little bit of it, uh, I actually think a would help the United States from a competition standpoint, nothing wrong with being a little selfish and B would actually help, uh, enforce all the privacy concerns that this country has been so focused on for the past few years. So, um, last one here, Walmart. So Walmart had a big beat, had continuous sales growth, uh, over five years, and their e-commerce sales rose forty-one percent, and they were attributing a lot of that success to grocery orders. And so this also is kind of the grocery pickup in store. But then, if you remember, they launched the unlimited delivery option, kind of like an Amazon Prime competitor, 
uh, where you pay either 100 or $120 a year. They also did in-home delivery. And you can get in-home delivery yeah. of groceries and, and these kinds of things. So um, it's clearly working. The 41%, they had projected previously like high 30%-ish uh, growth. And so this is at a 41%, they're beating on that. They've done this now multiple quarters in a row where they've right. beaten on the e-commerce growth. Not, 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 you know, not just having strong overall sales growth, but the e-commerce is continuing to outpace right. the what same their store, projections same were. Same store sales growth, basically. The in-store retail stuff is growing, I think, about 3-4%, which is good for a traditional retailer. Uh, and the e-commerce stuff is growing basically an order of magnitude faster than that, you know, 40-ish percent. And the interesting thing, too, uh, they also disclosed some numbers on third-party sellers and said basically since the beginning of this year, they've added like 10 million SKUs and more than half of those are basically marketplace products and that you know historically the the number of products on walmart.com uh, i think they said that they want to increase it further this year uh in the last year basically 2017 they said it was kind of like wild west we opened a bunch of you know, let a bunch of people in we've talked about that previously how they rapidly expanded after jet was acquired they focused more on quality and then the next year uh the the ceo basically said uh, doug McMillan basically said we need to focus on general merchandise meaning kind of the general marketplace the interesting stat that came out of that conversation too is he basically said, I think it was like 93% of the assortment on walmart.com today is marketplace products. Mm-hmm. So they have about three to four, I think, core pro- million core products that they sell uh, owned by Walmart, controlled by Walmart. But most of the products, not necessarily in terms of volume, but in terms of assortment, uh, I think the total was about 52 to 55 million products uh, on, a- on Walmart is con- sold by third parties. And that's not SKUs. Well- that's product. So, SKUs right. would be one to two times kind of that multiple. So, so let's on. kind of break that down. You went over a lot of numbers. Yes. So here. So Walmart added 10 million products to the online catalog. Point number one. That's this year in nine months. 10 right. million. Not over three to five years, Granger. Not, <laughs> o- not over three to five years, nine months. Walmart added half a million of that, right? So they added 500,000 that they were selling directly. That means their buyers go out, they source the product, they buy it on the balance sheet, they resell it. Right. So 9.5 million products added by third-party sellers. By third-party sellers. 95, or what is that, 90%, 95%? 95%. Yeah. I mean, that is big. They added 10,000 new sellers since the start of the year, 10,000 new sellers in nine months. Um, And they want to have even more. Now, the other numbers you were talking about. So now Walmart Marketplace has more than 32,000 sellers total. Um, Mark, who came from Jet.com and has right. been leading e-commerce for Walmart, it says, in 2017, we were adding SKUs so fast that we hadn't really kept a very high bar in terms of the quality of the SKUs and the quality of the merchants on the site. Um, and now that has been you know, more and more of a focus for them. So last November, Walmart had 41 million products for sale online. So this is a year ago, of which 3.2 million were sold directly by Walmart. And now the catalog has grown to 52 million and yep. still only 3.9 million are sold directly by right. Walmart. So, and basically in 12 months, they've added uh, what, like 11 million SKUs, only 700,000 of those are their own products. Yeah. In, tw- in, in 12 months, they've probably added like three Macy's worth of inventory. <laughs> it's, it, you know, it's a joke. It just sh- it goes to show you that the linear e-commerce model or that would be 
you know, that would be like 12 Grangers worth of inventory. Right. The linear Take model just pick. can't It's not going to keep up. Right. And, and this, this for them, they said is slower growth and that it's going to accelerate in the, basically a couple of years ahead. So here's the number of products chart. I mean, I want that, right? If I'm a retailer, I want that. I, w- I wouldn't say I want that. If I'm a retailer, I need that. Otherwise, yeah. I'm not going to be competitive. <laughs> right. Hey, and if I don't have that, this scares me. If I don't, because, if I don't go that, my traffic tends to go in the other direction. <laughs> right. Or, or you have the yellow line worth of growth. This is how you expand your first party products. Right. It, and, and this is how you get 40, 41% growth in the third quarter for e-commerce sales, right? It just... Grocery is, I don't want to discount the help of grocery. Grocery is still helping right. a it's lot. huge because they have a huge advantage there. I think it's 52% of Walmart's uh, retail sales in the U.S. is grocery. And that's is it 52? Area, I knew it was at least that's 40%. That's an area where they have a big advantage over, over Amazon because they have so much infrastructure and consumer relationships uh, in place to handle this. So that's an area where they have an advantage where Amazon isn't already established, whereas in general merchandise, they're playing catch up. So here, this is kind of in recap notes from Doug, the CEO. We're making progress on many fronts, but we need to do more and move faster. Okay. This guy just added 10 million products in nine months and he wants to do more and move faster. Put that in comparison to any linear e-commerce retailer distributor when they talk about their growth plans for SKU or product growth over the course of a three to five year period of time. And instead they need to take those projections and say, we're going to do this in 12 months. Otherwise you're going to get left behind in the dust or you already are being left behind. The other interesting part of that quote, uh, if you bring that up again, was he was talking about product mix and how that relates to marketplace. And basically what the read between the lines here, what he's saying is we make better margins on our marketplace products than we do on stuff we sell ourselves like food, because as the product mix changes, as we increase marketplace sales, we're going to make better margins. Mm-hmm. Much like Amazon does, I think they, the numbers that got leaked about a year ago where they make double the margins on marketplace products as they do on 1P sales, meaning the stuff they sell themselves. Walmart's in the same boat, and that's yeah. how they're going to improve profitability. Yeah, the 1P sales are really kind of, they're driving the volume, making sure they've got the stickiness, the absolute lowest prices. The customers are coming back again and again, and the marketplace is, uh, you know, where they're taking their take rate as opposed to, um, you know, making a spread basically on what they purchase the, the material for. Yeah. Um, so, look, we've said this before. I'll say it again. Walmart will go down as the number two dominant marketplace uh, behind Amazon. Not saying they need to beat Amazon. But just going down as the strong number two player where there's only two winners as a general overall e-commerce marketplace provider, Walmart will go down as the greatest transformation story in the past 50 years from a linear retailer doing over $500 billion, um, basically no infrastructure to now uh, giving Amazon a run for its money. And it's working. And I think that's what a lot of the linear enterprises miss is that they have a lot of advantages to jumpstart a platform or a marketplace model. Even if you are a retailer that's going head to head with Amazon. Remember, this really started in earnest in 2016. We're three-ish years into this. 
Now, Walmart's investing a lot of money. They're losing a billion dollars a year in e-commerce, particularly on rolling out infrastructure to right. be, to compete with Amazon. It's not cheap. But not like this is a that, positive. Right. That said, uh, not everyone operates at the scale that a Walmart does. Not everyone operates at so the scale. So the costs that, aren't going to be the same if you're a more you know, vertical specific retail organization. Walmart is basically doing everything. Right. And we are seeing players win in vertical specific areas. Right. That could be a pure startup like we've talked about with Go and StockX. Yep. Um, or you even have public ones like Farfetch. Uh, the Real Real is also public. Yep. Um, you are seeing vertical specific marketplace winners as well. So look, there's still opportunity out there, but um, it's fleeting. And every every day that you let it go by, especially look, even with, with Doug saying that they need to be adding more than essentially, if you just break it down equally, right? They need to be adding more than 3 million SKUs a quarter. And that's not fast right. enough. That's, you can that's see slow, the pace that they <laughs> want to be moving at. And you compare that to the linear players, and it, I mean, you can't even compare the two. Right. So anyway, we'll leave you on that note. Thanks for joining us today on Winner Take All, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.